I'm Chad Reed. I'm Hillary Langer. I'm Gil Jenkins. And this is Climate Positive. What does good look like, right? How can we shape consensus around corporate action that supports reliability versus potentially even making it worse? I think there's a broad recognition now that the consensus that we've got built on 10 plus years of success isn't actually sufficient to get us where we need to go as fast as we need to get there. The private sector has been a critical driver of increasing clean energy on the grid. Since 2008, corporate renewable purchases have helped bring online nearly 150 gigawatts of new renewable energy capacity globally, more than the total power generating capacity of France. But despite these purchase commitments, overall global emissions from the power sector have remained flat at a time when we need to see a sharp decline. And at the same time, extreme weather events have exposed vulnerabilities in the reliability of the current fossil fuel powered grid that aren't yet being addressed at sufficient scale. So earlier this year, a group of leading companies focused on accelerating decarbonization while also bolstering grid reliability partnered with RMI, a leading climate NGO, to launch the Zero Emissions Reliability Optimized Grid Initiative, or Zero Grid, with the objective of developing a comprehensive roadmap to accelerate the transition to a zero emissions grid. So in this episode, I chat with Mark Dyson, Managing Director at RMI, about the challenges Zero Grid aims to address, the objectives it seeks to achieve, as well as the concept of applied hope. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, first, I want to start with a question that I like to ask all of our guests. How did you find your way to the climate space? Yeah, this is a this was a good one. So when I was a senior in college many years ago, I had to do a team capstone project for my computer science degree. And we ended up choosing to build a web page from the back end all the way to the user interface for the college's single wind turbine that was sited in a field just off campus. So the, the website was meant to help students and the public learn about the wind turbine, see the real-time and historical data around electricity generation, how much carbon and money it was saving every day. I'd always admired that turbine, right? That big piece of Scandinavian modern art sweeping over the cornfields of Southern Minnesota. But once, once I got into the data on renewable energy, I, I was hooked and I couldn't go back. And, and I don't want to date you, but what year was this? Oh, that's that's a loaded question. 2007. Awesome. Well, now you're with the Rocky Mountain Institute, RMI, you're a managing director. Tell us a little about your, your current role. What do you focus on? Yeah, well, let me, let me start with what RMI is all about. So uh, we, we've been around for a while, but we've, we've changed a lot in, in the last couple of years. Uh, RMI was, was founded as Rocky Mountain Institute in 1982, but has rebranded to RMI. We're an independent nonprofit organization focused on the energy transition. Uh, we started 40 years ago as a small team, 8,000 feet above sea level in the Rockies. And now we're a 700 person team working in 60 plus countries all over the world on every sector of the economy. I have the privilege of leading the electricity team at RMI. So I support the work of our team here in the US and globally working on carbon free electricity topics. Excellent, excellent. RMI is, is definitely one of the most respected NGO in the climate space, I can say, uh, personally working with you all. And so now I want to turn to Zero Grid, which is an initiative that is led by your organization. Earlier this year, a group of corporate voluntary decarbonization leaders, including General Motors, Meta, Prologis, Salesforce, Walmart, Akamai, others, 
partnered with you all to stand up what is called the Zero Grid Initiative. So tell us, what, what is the Zero Grid Initiative and the impetus behind it? Yeah. Well, I'll start with the, the impetus, um, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what we're up to. So about a year ago, a few of the large energy buyers that my team partners with and has worked with for years came to us with some concerns, and I'll, and I'll summarize them in, in two categories. The first was around the pace of carbon emissions reductions. So these companies and RMI recognize that despite all the amazing progress that these companies and others have made over the past 15 years in procuring carbon-free electricity, we as a society are not on track to limit the worst effects of climate change. We, we need to move faster. And so we recognized with these companies an opportunity to better take advantage of all the superpowers, if you will, that different companies could bring to bear and support each company in targeting what they do to match their skills and core business and capabilities and reduce the most emissions. Right now, the issue is there's, there's a one-size-fits-all reward system, if you will, for companies taking action on climate, and, and it actually doesn't work for everyone, and it's not leading to the pace of emissions reductions that we need. So that's the first concern that we explored, this issue around the pace of carbon emissions reductions and corporate's role. The second concern is reliability, uh, grid reliability specifically. I, I hope it's a, an obviously true statement that prosperity and economic growth in this country and globally requires reliable electricity. And because of that, any energy transition that we want to realize is a non-starter if the lights go out. Unfortunately, we're moving in the wrong direction in the United States. We don't probably don't need to tell you we've had big blackouts and small blackouts from Texas to California to the Northeast to the Midwest, almost everywhere. It's going to get worse with load growth. And the most common strategy that we're seeing utilities and transmission operators supporting to support reliability is to build new unabated gas-fired power plants, which goes in the face of the decarbonization concern we were just talking about, right? So, so these are some of the concerns that, that we and, and the companies that we've been working with on Zero Grid started discussing about a year ago that led us to where we are today. And what are the you know, underlying interconnected challenges that drive those two issues, both the reliability and the decarbonization speed issues? Can you go into those three? Yeah, so, so the, the three challenges that we've anchored around in our work with the companies and our other partners are, are load growth, the pace of carbon-free electricity deployment, and the pace of infrastructure expansion. So, so to go into each of those briefly, Load growth, it's been talked about a lot the past six months or so. We've had flat load in this country for the past 15 plus years, but now with reshoring and onshoring of manufacturing spurred by recent federal legislation, the coming wave of EVs, and of course the growing role of data centers in our economy, these are three of the many trends that are combining at the moment to make load growth look quite steep in the coming years. The second challenge is around the pace of carbon-free electricity resource investment. We weren't keeping up even before we started to see this level of load growth, and, and now it's even worse, right? So data from the Department of Energy shows that the median time to interconnect a new project in this country, a new carbon-free energy project, has, has exceeded six years as of last year. Interconnection studies themselves for wind and solar projects are now taking, on average, three years or more to compete. And then financial challenges and incentives for utilities remain a barrier for investment, even after we have the Inflation Reduction Act and all of the incentives that that, that contained. So 
uh, we're not we're not keeping up with the need in deploying carbon free energy. Do you have any high level thoughts on on why the U.S. in particular has such poor ability to develop transmission independent of load growth, but even with low growth, it's it's even more of a challenge. Why? Why? This is seemingly a more of a U.S. challenge and European or other developed world challenge. Do you have any high high level thoughts on why? Uh, I mean, there are the three P's of transmission investment, right? Uh, permitting, planning, and paying. Uh, we have challenges associated with all of those in the U.S. that are exacerbated by the overlapping jurisdictions in this country between county, state, RTO, federal, all are required to get projects moving, uh, to determine who pays for the projects, uh, either to start them or once they're up and running, for these reasons, it's been taking a, a decade or more to build the kind of long interregional lines that we need to grow the grid to the level that we do to support a fully decarbonized economy by the middle of this century. Uh, so that's actually the third challenge, right, is this pace of infrastructure expansion that would unlock the investment in carbon-free energy that we need. And, and it's also a problem on the, the low voltage side. You were talking about transmission, Chad, but on the distribution system, we've seen wait times grow from months to years to interconnect new manufacturing facilities or new EV charging depots because of a variety of things related to backlogs in transformers due to the supply chain issues over the past couple of years, uh, but also just slow planning procedures within utility jurisdictions that are limiting the pace of how quickly we can add load to the distribution grid. Right. So why aren't we able to solve these problems today? What are the, what are the key obstacles that are <laughs> impeding our ability to do so? Yeah. What is keeping corporates uh, from tackling these big challenges? I, I think the biggest thing that probably underlies all the other things that are keeping us from taking action is, is a lack of consensus about what good looks like. In the, in the corporate space, we have grown an amazing community of practice around carbon-free energy procurement over the past 10 years. And there are many existing structures and tools, you know, for example, the Greenhouse Gas Protocol Scope 2 framework that tell us what good looks like uh, reflecting on the last 15 years of progress. But I think there's a broad recognition now that the consensus that we've got built on 10 plus years of success isn't actually sufficient to get us where we need to go as fast as we need to get there. We don't have a consensus on what good procurement looks like, what good policy advocacy looks like among the corporate space. And until we know uh, and can realign this community of practice around these emerging priorities that reflect where we are today in 2023 and not where we were 10 years ago in 2013 at the beginning of the renewables boom, we're going to fail to make progress. So that's the biggest issue I think that we're trying to address. Got it. And and maybe the, there are a couple others like recognition for corporates that want yeah. to you know look beyond their own walls and and address a systemic level change. Can you can you speak to that as well? Yeah, this is a, a huge challenge. Right now, the, the the reward system, the incentive system, if you will, for companies is built on things like the Scope 2 framework that measure progress by the extent to which companies have zeroed out their own uh, Scope 2 footprints, for example, for purchased electricity. And that's great. And it also is very reflective of an enterprise level goal, uh, meaning that you can get a gold star if at the enterprise level you've procured enough megawatt hours of carbon-free electricity as you've consumed in electricity in, in a year. But that doesn't actually necessarily guarantee system-level change 
right? There's no guarantee that the procured electricity is actually reducing global carbon emissions versus just zeroing out a company's footprint. And so we need to reorient and, and generate consensus on what really should be the recognition structure for system level change, not enterprise level footprinting. Right. And so we, we talked about some of the corporates that you're working with and that co-founded this initiative with you all. But what are some of the other organizations and stakeholders that you've been engaging with and how you've been engaging with them? Yeah, we've got some really important fellow travelers on this journey in addition to our corporate partners. I'll start with the regional transmission organizations, the RTOs. We, we can't have a real conversation about reliability without engaging directly with the people whose job it is to keep the lights on. So we've got PJM and MISO, two of the largest grid operators in this country who are regularly joining our reliability advisory initiative working group calls and supporting our work and engaging with the corporates on what does good look like, right? How can we shape consensus around corporate action that supports reliability versus potentially even making it worse? So that's that's one category. And we've got a couple other RTOs that have been joining those calls. It's great to see interest and momentum grow. The, the second category of fellow travelers is the, the experts, the researchers, the academics, the practitioners on impact assessment. And this is our, our impact advisory initiative. So we've got leading companies like Wattime and Resurity who develop uh, approaches and research to quantify the impact of different companies' actions. We've also got academics from leading universities on both coasts and national labs joining our working group calls to uh, have productive arguments that, that can help the corporate community of practice move beyond annual accounting for megawatt hours and existing scope two guidance and, and help define consensus around corporate action that moves the needle at the system level. So those are those are the two initiatives that we have that are stood up within the zero grid project at RMI. But we're also engaging a, a bunch of other stakeholders here. We've gotten a ton of interest from technology developers who are uh, interested in developing new transmission or generation technologies and want to understand what the corporate appetite might be to get involved. We've got other large energy buyers who are in our orbit. I'll name here, for example, the federal government agencies who together are some of the biggest buyers of electricity in the world. Um, so it's great to see, given recent executive orders, their interest in moving the needle on carbon-free energy procurement. And then, of course, the Clean Energy Buyers Association, SEBA, has been a, a partner with us in thinking through how we can be most complementary to the progress they've already made over the past eight years. Climate Positive is produced by HASI a leading climate investment firm that actively partners with clients to deploy real assets that facilitate the energy transition. To learn more, please visit hassi.com. So you've built this large coalition of folks across the, the spectrum. You have a very clear view on the challenges that you're trying to address. So what are the solutions? What are the, the pillars of action that you're, you're focusing on? And what are your key objectives? There are five, um, and, and I'll start with the one that we're all probably most familiar with, which is procurement of carbon-free electricity resources. This has been the, the foundation of success and impact in the corporate space for 15 years for good reason. We are trying to move the needle with our partners to, to focus companies' procurement actions in a way that is targeted at impact. Not every megawatt hour that a company procures will have the same climate impact, right? Wind in West Texas, where there's already a ton of wind, or solar in California, where there's already a ton of solar, 
might have minimal impact on global greenhouse gas emissions in the short term and even in the long term. So we're trying to orient and develop frameworks for recognizing the impact of carbon-free electricity in places where there isn't a lot of it right now, or carbon-free electricity that can generate power at times when there isn't other carbon-free energy available, which we think is more impactful in the short and long term. And we're, again, working to align procurement focus in ways that recognize this for the corporate space. So that's the first pillar of action that we want to move forward on. The next is policy, right? A lot of these challenges require collective action, and policy is one of the biggest levers for achieving collective action. We want to explicitly recognize the head start we've gotten with the Inflation Reduction Act, with the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law from the past couple of years, which together have had a huge impact on some of the economic challenges for deploying carbon-free electricity. Uh, but there's an opportunity to do a lot more and to engage corporates to define how they can participate in the policy space to achieve their business goals and also their, their climate goals. So to name a couple examples, right, interconnection reform. We've, we've seen great progress with FERC Order 2023, and there's so much more to do. Transmission planning. We have a pending order from FERC on uh, regional transmission planning, which is great. And the more that companies can name their priorities around what that looks like and how it can evolve going forward, you know, the, the clearer that, that voice of the industry can be in defining what is needed for uh, prosperity and economic growth and, and how that depends on the transmission system. So those are just a, a couple examples of kind of the policy levers we're trying to pull with our partners. The, the third category is, is finance. The, the big idea here is that Companies have a variety of ways that they could use their capabilities or take advantage of their core business areas to help remove financial barriers to carbon-free electricity deployment. So, so probably the best example here, the most timely example, is participating in tax transfer markets, tax credit transfer markets that have been enabled under new rules from the Inflation Reduction Act, which can help move carbon-free energy projects forward that otherwise would have faced higher costs or lack of ability to take advantage of tax incentives. Um, so we're working with companies to explore how they can really standardize that, level that practice up. Can you tell us exactly what that entails, what that means for folks who are not well-versed in the tax equity universe? Sure, yeah. So prior to the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, it was possible to uh, invest in a carbon-free energy project like a wind farm or a solar farm even if you didn't have a tax appetite, even if you didn't owe enough tax to take advantage of those tax credits, but only if you partnered with another company to do a tax equity partnership, which would let that other company take those tax credits, basically, uh, and lower the cost of the project overall. The, the issue with that, it worked great, but the issue with that, it was that there was a pretty limited market of companies that were willing to engage in that kind of transaction, which limited the, the space and the scale of investment in wind farms and solar farms for companies that didn't necessarily have tax appetites. And mostly those were the, the big banks and, and some other big corporates. But yeah, a very small universe of folks could actually take advantage uh, and participate in the tax yeah. equity market and benefited from it, perhaps disproportionately, which was also not ideal. Yeah, there were big barriers to entry uh, and a lot of friction for companies that wanted to get involved in those mechanisms. And with the new rules from the Inflation Reduction Act, there's now a potential to basically directly trade those tax credits without uh, th that are generated by renewable energy projects without having to set up a tax equity partnership, uh, which will let 
potentially many more companies take advantage of their tax appetite to support the investment in renewable energy projects. So this is a, a huge untapped opportunity that we're trying to help our partners and other stakeholders take advantage of. And I think there's also research and development as, a, as another pillar that you are focused on. What what are you focusing on here? Yeah, I, I think it starts with a recognition that emerging technology, pre-commercial technology can play a big role in meeting both decarbonization and reliability objectives. So to, to name a couple examples, right, like advanced carbon-free generation technologies like long-duration storage or nuclear or advanced transmission technologies like grid-enhancing technologies or advanced superconductors, advanced storage resources. These are all more or less pre-commercial technologies that can play a valuable and complementary role to wind, solar, and lithium-ion technologies that are commercial and cost-effective today and are probably going to be needed in the long run to achieve full decarbonization in the timeframe we need to do it. The challenge is that none of these emerging technologies have a ready market that they can deploy in today and earn money on day one, in part because they're not commercial yet, in part because the market's not rewarding what they provide yet. And so the R&D pillar for us is letting companies guide their R&D dollars in a way that is, again, consistent with their core business and really supports innovation and development on first-of-a-kind projects or nth-of-a-kind projects that can uh, achieve scale and get these pre-commercial technologies closer to reality. We want to, again, focus companies' efforts that they're already doing on some of these technologies in the ways that we think can be most impactful overall. Right. And then finally, operations. What do, what do we talk about in this context? Yeah, to me, operations means things like virtual power plants and demand response. So this is taking advantage of the, in many cases, large loads that are collaborating companies have um, from things like EV charging depots or even just distributed EVs, data centers, manufacturing facilities, taking advantage of the flexibility of that electricity demand in space and time to directly support both grid decarbonization and grid reliability. There's been a ton of research work in this space from my team and many others on what this looks like and how big of a deal it could be for the climate and for reliability. But so far, there's been a lack of practical guidance and market opportunities for companies to take advantage of this, even if it's economic for them. So we want to, through this pillar of work, really lay out the the market opportunities for demand response, virtual power plants to contribute to both decarbonization and reliability goals and help match those up with companies' core businesses and the the levers they can pull within their own operations to uh, affect that change. Right. Well, these obviously all sound like very important uh, potential initiatives for companies to embark upon. How are you memorializing all of these best practices so that not just the current member companies of Zero Grid, but many others across the spectrum can, can learn from them and potentially emulate them? Yeah, right. We, we know that even if we have 10 companies or 100 companies that are working with us, we, we need thousands of companies to affect the kind of change that we need to see in the world. So this is a, a big part of the work we're doing is making this visible and accessible to, to everybody, not just the companies working with us to define what this should look like for them. Um, so that all lives at zerogrid.org. We've got a section of our website that's called the Corporate Action Playbook, where 
right now it's it's uh, growing quickly. It's going to be a living document that has a couple examples right now of the context of the challenges that we face in terms of reliability and decarbonization, um, specific kinds of solutions. For example, what's on there right now is a deep dive into grid enhancing technologies that can increase the capacity of the existing transmission system and, and ways for companies to get involved in scaling this technology. And eventually, we're going to be growing the, the library of materials in this playbook in consultation with our corporate collaborators, with the RTOs, with academics and other researchers uh, to many different kinds of solutions, and including, you know, we've talked about finance, we talked about EV charging infrastructure and, and many more. Um, so this will all be available and, and again, hopefully scaled and available to, to all the companies that want to learn about how they can make the most impact. And I think as we noted earlier, one of the other challenges, you know, companies may have some good intentions and, and have already started along some of these pathways, uh, but to really scale them, we need some sort of external recognition such that you know, they are, are receiving credit in the marketplace for all this good work that they're doing that they're not directly either entirely or at all benefiting from. So how do we either create new recognition programs or shape existing ones to help drive action on these fronts? Well, we're doing both, right? And, and I think the first thing that we're trying to do is show, not tell. Uh, we're already working with companies that are doing really innovative stuff that is maybe below the waterline or on the back page or in the back half of their annual sustainability report. But in our view, it could be really impactful if, if only we quantified the benefits and made it clear how it was creating an impact. So we're, we're engaging in project-based work and advising and consulting on what that could look like for different companies in different spaces that, that fits into these five pillars. Um, when we see leadership, we're not afraid to highlight it, right? And we're not afraid to show using our own independent view of what's needed in the long run and how companies can take part in that, what, what good looks like. Um, and so hopefully through some of these project-based learnings and highlighting the successes that we're seeing and the lessons learned, we're going to start to grow recognition organically. And then we're also going to work with standard setters themselves to incorporate some of these lessons learned, some of the best practices that we're trying to develop with companies into the things that are formal guidelines for companies. You know, the scope two guidance from the greenhouse gas protocol is, is being revised as we speak. This is a great example of how some of these standards are uh, living and can start to take into account new insights from industry and from researchers and, and get better over time. So again, we're, we're doing both our own work on highlighting success based on projects that, that we can evaluate and also making sure that some of that is codified to the best extent we can into existing standards and frameworks. So what does the next year or two look like for Zero Grid? Where are we going from here? I mean, I think that the most Visible, deliverable, if you will, is just going to be the growth of this corporate actions playbook that lives on our website. That'll be a living document that, you know, reflects input from companies, from leading researchers, from RTOs, and really helps show the direction of travel for, for where we hope to build consensus. You know, behind the scenes, we're going to be building a community of practice around that. We're going to be engaging with many more companies than we are right now, formally and informally, to understand what good looks like for them, how this emerging consensus and guidance can be shaped in a way that works for their business and, and helps them unlock their full decarbonization potential. We're excited to have some specific conversations 
and deliverables that make their way from our reliability advisors, uh, the RTOs, and our impact advisors, the, the companies and academics, in, in a way that can you know, materially meet challenges that we're seeing in 2023 and 2024. So I'll name load growth, right? I think a, a lot of folks listening to this podcast have probably seen the headlines about load growth from factories, load growth from EVs. We're working with our advisors and our companies to put out kind of specific and actionable views on how to take some of the considerations around low growth into account and what they do from a sustainability perspective. So uh, it's full steam ahead for the next year. And you'll, you'll see a lot of it show up on our website and a lot of it's going on behind the scenes to support that. Well, how can other companies who are not currently involved or, or even individuals uh, potentially get involved with GeoGrid if they want to help support your mission? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first ask is please don't be a stranger. We've got you know, six companies on the website now, probably talking to a dozen more. And I think we can learn more from every new company that we talk to about what their pain points are around achieving their climate goals, around achieving their business goals while not exacerbating the reliability challenge. So don't be a stranger. And then, you know, our, our website has a, a connection link and we encourage people to, to reach out, learn about what it looks like to collaborate formally with us or, or even just uh, maintain a cadence of informal conversations. Uh, they're, they're both helpful. Excellent. Well, Mark, we're almost done, but first we have the hot seat. So we ask for your immediate reactions to the following statements. One thing I've changed my mind on is... Uh, low growth. Uh, five, five years ago, I was not convinced. I was actually... You were bearish I, on low growth? I was bearish on load growth. I, I, utilities and, and grid operators have done basically a terrible job for the past 15 years in forecasting load growth. They always think it's going up, 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 and it keeps being flat, flat, flat. So I, I had allowed myself to uh, you know, assume that that would remain to be true. And now in the past six to 12 months, it's very clear that structurally things are changing and load growth is coming and we need to get ahead of it. So that's the thing I've changed my mind about most recently. Interesting. When I need to recharge, I go mountain biking. The key ingredient to my productivity is my team, the people around me doing great work, keeping me motivated and inspired. I want my kids to know. I, I want my kids to maybe not know. I want my kids to be excited and, and looking forward to what's coming and not concentrating on, on what's past or the negative of what's coming. Um, it's an exciting time. There's a lot of work to do. I want my, my daughter to know that. That's awesome. That's a great answer. You're in Boulder, Colorado. Is Boulder overrated or underrated and why? Uh, it, it's Goldilocks rated, just right. Properly rated, not over or under. You, you basically, you, you get what you expect here if you come or, or move to Boulder. Awesome. And then finally, to me, climate positive means? To me, climate positive is associated with kind of an ethos of RMI, which our founder, Amory Lovins, has described as applied hope. hope. Hope is not a passive state, right? We, we have to apply hope for the future through hard work to realize that change. You know, another way to think about it, and I'll paraphrase the, the great systems thinker, uh, Dana Meadows here, if, if we want to confront the challenges that we face, including climate change, it's important to be of the mindset that we have exactly enough time to do it if we start right now. So, so to me, climate positive is consistent with some of those, you know, mindsets that, that I try to take into my work. That's awesome. Applied hope. Great phrase. 
Mark, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for your time today. It was great learning about Zero Grid and, and you and uh, look forward to uh, staying in touch. Thanks for the invitation, Chad. Great to speak today. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. This really helps us reach more listeners. You can also let us know what you thought via Twitter at ClimatePosiPod or email us at ClimatePositive at Hasse.com. I'm Chad Reed, and this is Climate Positive.